On this week's Farmland, we look at the future of farming with Macrona Firma President Thomas Duffy. Plus, what measures can beef farmers implement to cope with the current spell of dry weather and reduce grass growth rates on farm? Here's what's coming up. Thomas Duffy on the EU's farm to fork strategy and what it means for the future of farming. And we get expert advice on how the recent spell of dry weather is affecting beef farms and what farmers can do to manage the situation. The EU's recently published Farm to Fork strategy has big plans for European agriculture. Charles O'Donnell spoke to Macron Affirmer President Thomas Duffy on what it means for the future of farming, especially young farmers. So Thomas, um, young farmers are mentioned only once in the Farm to Fork strategy um, in terms of uh, organics as an attractive option for young farmers. Uh, meanwhile, the issue of land availability uh, isn't really addressed at all. So what does that say to you as the president of MACRA and do you consider organics to be an attractive option for young farmers? What it says to me very clearly is that this, um, the, the proposal is failing young farmers. They haven't taken into account the submissions that were made um, by the European Council of Young Farmers um, and ourselves and, and other young farmers uh, organisations individually. We clearly laid out that in order to achieve any of the goals in terms of biodiversity, in terms of environmental ambition, that land mobility and the, the access to land was going to have to be addressed. The fact that young farmers were only mentioned once in the entire text and not as uh, given any real consideration shows just how detached from the reality, uh, unfortunately, this document is. If we want to achieve, and, and, and Mocker wants to achieve that environmental ambition, then we need to address the problems that are systematic in the, issue, in the area. Um, as to whether the uh, organic farming is uh, more attractive to young farms, I, I would imagine it, it is. Um, generally, there's lower startup costs. It is a very attractive uh, option, but ultimately, I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that it is at the scale that we are talking about for young farms. Thomas, the direction of travel um, in terms of agriculture is clearly laid out in the document. Uh, it seems to suggest that farming, as it's been done up to now, won't be able to continue due to uh, environmental considerations, less fertilizer, less pesticides, and so on. Um, are young farmers um, inspired by that challenge, or is there a possibility that some of these measures might deter young farmers? The, the first thing to say is that um, farming has never done the way it was um, in, in any previous generation. I don't farm the same way my father did. My father doesn't farm the same way uh, that his father did. Um, so agriculture is constantly moving forward. Very often those are driven by constraints. We know that the Habitats Directive, we know that the Nitrates Directive significantly changed the way of farming. So farmers, uh, particularly young farmers, know all of this. We know that, that the, uh, the situation will change from our parents' time. Um, the question is whether these specific targets are going to, um, number one, are they actually going to be uh, practical? And number two, are they going to disincentivize young people from getting into agriculture? And are they going to disincentivize agriculture in general? Our major issues is not with the, the general um, trend of travel, reducing pesticides, reducing inputs, reducing fertilizers are all great in theory. The problem is these targets, as they were laid out, were not laid out farmer focused. Had these targets been something like um, to have 80% of, of all farmers in the EU being, uh, using integrated pest management, for instance, uh, particularly in the case of crops, that would have had an automatic reduction in the, in the use of pesticides and herbicides for the very simple reason that these inputs are expensive. 
if you train farmers in how to uh, how to reduce them using um, good practices and, and using uh, new methods, well, you will automatically get a reduction in use as long as you don't have an intensification on the other side. Um, and that's a really, really important aspect. We could have seen very ambitious targets that would have worked for farmers. We could have seen targets about the, the nutrient management plans uh, across the EU. We could have seen targets about um, incentives in, in a given area for, for areas uh, that we know and we've identified as highly vulnerable in terms of water quality. We could have seen great ambition had this uh, proposal worked with farmers. Instead, what we've seen is we've seen a top-down approach from people that are not entirely sure if they've engaged enough with the actual practices. And the more disappointing part, Charles, as well, for me, is that ultimately the lessons that have actually been learned by the Agricultural Commission, because they were not involved, were not, were not taken account of. We have seen huge success in both conservation and in resource use from the EIP projects, the, the results-based programs and the environmental innovation program. And those worked with farmers in order to achieve great goals. That's how this should have been orientated, not again top-down goals being pushed down on farmers. Plant-based diets uh, seems to also be a vision in the Farm to Fork strategy, and even the Eat Lancet report from last year was also referenced. Uh, what's your assessment of those um, apparent health considerations uh, making its way into the, the future of food production in this strategy? So I suppose there's, there's two considerations here on this. Um, the first one is the, the use of the Eat Lancet report, as opposed to various others, um, and, and, and realistically more um, highly regarded publications around healthy eating. Um, the difference is most of the, most of the, um, the proper nutritional um, uh, peer-reviewed papers do suggest that, yeah, we do need to eat more fruit and vegetables, and we probably are over-consuming certain uh, categories of food, but they take a more balanced approach. And they say, well, uh, you know, we're eating an awful lot of processed meats. We need to cut back down on that. No one would particularly disagree. But we're eating a lot of processed foods overall. Um, and, and we've seen it. Like we, we see this in the food services industry. A lot of that is, is pre-prepared food. But we also see it at home. The, the sales of processed meals and ready meals have absolutely skyrocketed over the years. People, have, people are time poor now uh, for various reasons to do with commuting and, and everything else. And we saw a shift back, actually. COVID showed us that, that people are willing to take up cooking and, and uh, producing their own food again. That would have been a very significant element uh, that we would have supported. So I suppose there's a question there around... Um, you know, this, this over-focus, in our opinion, on meat versus a plant-based diet. Most people who are eating a diet, which includes meat and dairy, are eating majority plants. Um, people who are eating a high-carbohydrate diet with a high-fat diet, with a, with a, with a high-meat diet, um, those are people who are suffering from obesity. And the Commission rightly calls that out as a major waste of resources, but also a major factor um, in poor health across the EU. So that's the question. Can we get the consumer back to eating um, the wholesome food, essentially non or, or minimally processed food that can be produced at home? And how do, we, how do we create a society where people are not disenfranchised by doing that? So how do we build a better EU community where people have the time to cook and they're not rushed off their feet having to rely on heavily processed, high salt, high fat, high carbohydrate foods? Uh, the strategy does look like it'll uh, have a significant impact on young farmers uh, and Maria McGuinness said last week that the tillage sector in, in uh, particular would be uh, heavily impacted. Uh, what steps uh, will MOCRA as an organisation be taking to address these issues that you've raised? We're engaging with both the MEPs and the TDs. We've sent various submissions. 
Um, we involved. We actually got involved. And we had a very large submission to the um, to the report uh, and to the strategy. Um, and then also uh, one of the one of the key ways that we work is as part of the Council of Young Farmers. Actually, just after hopping off a meeting, it's it's very nice to have, not have to hop on a plate or plane after um, uh, leaving Brussels. I, I can I can be back in my kitchen now. And, um, but it's that's one of the main ways that that we can focus on. It is there is a ultimately this decision lies with the Council of Europe. But we see that the, the way that particularly the MFF uh, was presented to the uh, to the Parliament is around the question, or is a, uh, the way it was presented to the Parliament gives the Parliament far more power. Um, and ultimately, Charles, what this all comes down to uh, is does the ambition uh, match the budget? At the moment, from the proposals that have been set out, while there has been an improvement, um, the the current MFF, the, the current multi-financial framework, that basically the EU budget, is a cut on the, the previous budget in real terms when you take inflation into account. So I don't know how you can have more ambition while not also having greater funding, because all you're doing then is you're taking money from one farmer and giving it to another, and we know that that just does not work. Thomas Duffy, President of Macron Pharma, thanks very much for your time. The weather has been unseasonably dry over the last few weeks. Niall Claffey spoke to Chagas cattle specialist Martina Harrington on options for overcoming the prolonged dry period on suckler and beef farms. Thanks very much for joining us, Martina. I suppose over the last couple of weeks, you know, there's been drier weather, farms have been experiencing, I suppose, reduced growth rates. What's the actual picture on the ground with, with growth rates and maybe soil moisture deficits? Well, Niall, it's very varied across the country and it's even varied within the regions. If we're looking at it kind of across the West, they don't seem to have as much of a problem. The soil moisture deficits there are kind of in the low 40s, especially down around Cork and Kerry and that type of area that got a good band of rain about two weeks ago. Whereas if you move more up north, it's kind of in into the Midlands, you're starting to see a much higher uh, soil moisture deficit. And then when you come across to the east and up like the eastern board, like the likes of Wexford and Carlow, Kilkenny, Meads, Dublin, they have a huge soil moisture deficit. From last week, it was 46 millimetres is, was the soil moisture deficit. And today, just looking at it there on uh, Met Aaron, it's 60. So it has grown in the last nine days massively. So there's a big, ver- but within farm, lads will have to look at their own situations. Like down around here, you'd have heavier farms that would have much less of a soil moisture deficit than other areas. So I suppose it's a mixed picture um, and that's affecting grass growth rates. If you look up at pasture-based Ireland, all along the, the western seaboard, all up along is kind of 69 to 71, whereas we look at the average for over this part of the country, it's 51. So it is beginning to bite over here. Okay. And so with the soil moisture deficits, there probably is reduced growth rates. I suppose what's the advice around you know farms that are dealing with reduced growth rates? What, what should farmers do? I suppose far, farmers need to go and walk their farms first and see what, what level of grass is on the farms. Is there parts of the farms that are growing better? Is there parts of the farms that have stopped growing altogether? Um, the first thing is, I suppose, from last week to this week, it will slightly change in that we were soil moisture deficit so 46 last week, and we were saying definitely go out with fertilizer. I suppose we're on the border of whether you'd recommend fertilizer now at the minute. I'd say for this week, still go ahead. There's a bit of rain supposed to fall tonight a little bit more over the weekend and then if the soil moisture deficits don't decrease you'll want to look at maybe stop putting out fertilizer and hold on to the rain actually does come so I'd say first of all definitely still go with the, with the fertilizer and if you have the allowance under your nutrient management 
can try get in a little bit of P and K into that just to really push on the growth. Um, I suppose then on, on grass and management, if you're going in in your grazing, and make sure that you're great going and graze your paddocks and you're grazing them down to your four centimetres. So basically you're not wasting what grass that you actually do have. Um, and then look at your rotation. Like what you're looking at now is trying to maintain your rotation at that kind of 25 days. So how you put that into practical terms is you're looking at grazing kind of 4% of your farm. So if you have a 100 acre farm, you're looking at grazing four acres a day. And if you're looking at that and you're saying, well, I'm well under that, then you don't really have a problem. You're not going to start eating into your into your um, farm cover. But if you're eating way more than that, well, then you need to slow yourself down. So however you do that, either introduce feed or reduce demand. So that's the, the key messages. OK, so with reduced demand, I suppose, what are the measures that, that farmers can put in place maybe to reduce demand on the farm? I suppose now you're going to have to look at your own situation and where you are. And every farm is going to be different. So autumn calving herds, they can wean their calves and restrict their cows. If you're looking at spring calving herds, you're really going to have to, if your bull is still in with your cows, you're going to have to prioritize your cows to make sure that they're still on a good plane of nutrition so they're back in calf for next year. If you have animals that are near finished within kind of 60 days of finish or so, you can go in and try and uh, maybe feed them five or six kilos and get them off of the farm. Anybody that has sheep on their farm, they can look at weaning their lambs that little bit earlier. Um, I suppose feeding out silage then kind of comes in after that to try and, and reduce demand at that stage. Like, you know, but I suppose it's going back and looking at your own farm, seeing area at that 4%. But uh, I suppose we're looking at this year and we're looking at 2018. And a lot of people learned lessons from 2018 and you have to kind of incorporate them now and those that reacted very quickly in 18, didn't run into the into a, a deficit as quick. So if we were looking at it now and saying, well, reduce demand and go in with silage, you never want to be the first, I suppose, in your own area to do that. But, you know, if you go out and you're feeding it, feeding half a bale or a, a bale every second or third day to hold up the re- rotation, that probably is where it is. Um, if we're looking at the price of beef, it's not hectic. So probably the last thing we'd be looking at is trying to bring in in maybe uh, soya hulls or, or barley or something like that. The first thing to go with is, is silage. And I suppose in comparison to 18, the cupboard isn't bare. Like we do have silage reserves there. And the first cuts, I suppose we're getting a little bit mixed uh, reviews as to whether they're heavy or light. But, you know, we're in June now, beginning of June, you know, if the rain does come, we have a good long back end that we can build up our fodder stores again. Okay. And I suppose, Martina, where maybe farmers had paddocks maybe pulled out or earmarked for surplus for surplus grass, is there an option maybe to, to maybe hold off with the mower now and maybe to graze these paddocks and with strip wire possibly? I suppose it goes really against what we'd normally be saying at this time of the year, or take out, take out paddocks, take out paddocks, take out paddocks to maintain the quality. But yeah, we are looking at it now. Any grass that is there, leave it there and strip graze it. So even if you have stronger paddocks, the urge is for a lot of heavier stock farmers that will be managing grasses when you take those out. But you're going to spend 19 or 20 euros putting them into the bale and possibly have to feed them out in two or, tri- two or three weeks' time. So we'd say, yeah, go in and strip graze those fields. And anything that's kind of less than two and a half thousand of a cover, if you ha- even if you've saved it up for a second cut silage, is go in and graze those, yeah. Okay. Um, and as you mentioned there, you know, there's a lot of first cuts after been cut around the country now. Lads would be anxious probably to get back out with maybe slurry or fertilizer. What's the advice around slurry spreading in hot weather and, and what fertilizer is supposed to, to use on, on this ground? Yeah, well, again, going back to, to 2018 and learning what we learned there, 
is really a lot of people, yeah, if you had like cuts, the urge really is to go back out with your 80 units of nitrogen or 90 units of nitrogen for a better second cut. But like from learning the last time when people went out with that, they didn't get the return for it. So what we'd say is go out with maybe 30 units, maybe something like 15, 3, 22 bags of that. Then if the if that will push on the grass or whatever moisture is there, and if the rain does come, then you can top up that level of nitrogen um, up to your 80 or, or your 90 units. And to say with slurry, well, I suppose with the hot, dry weather that we're experiencing now, we wouldn't be advising going out with slurry. But again, it goes back to the to the areas. Like if you are very dry over here in the east, it's probably slightly different to where you are over in the west. If you're expecting rain over there and you have bare ground, go ahead, spread your slurry over in the east where we're not expecting a huge amount of rain. Leave your slurry in the tanks until um, rain is definitely going to come. Because if you go up and you spread that slurry on ground, this is scald or scorched ground, first of all, any new grass coming up underneath it. And the other thing, if there's grass there already, it'll taint whatever grass is there. So you'll have less of an intake. Okay. And just what type of fertilizer, if we're going, if, if the, say the, the moisture is there, what type of fertilizer should we be following with grazing? Again, you know, you're talking about kind of the 20 units of nitrogen and if possible, put out a little bit of P and K. So like if you were looking at one bag of 18, 6, 12, or maybe three quarters of a bag of 25, 4, 0 or something like that, just to kind of give that little bit of an extra push. But I suppose the one thing we want to be very careful of, and, and again, going back to 2018, the lessons learned, we kept going out every round with fertilizer. And then when the rain did come, there was a huge spike in the release of nitrogen. And a lot of that ended up in the rivers, you know, so it was lost to the farmer. So what we're looking at now is going out with your 20 units, making sure that you get do get the growth for that 20 units. And then if the rain does come, follow up again with another 20 units. So just reduce out down that level of nitrogen. And again, it goes back to how highly stocked. If you're a very heavily stocked farm, you need loads of grass, you're kind of pushing it. Again, don't go above the 20 units. But if you're a lower stocked farm, you can kind of keep below that, maybe go up with 15 or 16 units, like, you know, just to, to match what your growth versus your demand. Okay. And I suppose maybe a lot of farmers have been querying, you know, whether they can spray in, in, in these weather conditions, these drier, these drier weather conditions. What's the advice around spraying, Martina? Sprains an absolute no no. Um, a couple of farmers I went up around the Midlands and they've sprayed off ground and it looks like they went out with a roundup on it. It'll scorch the grass and especially anything that's under pressure or under stress, it'll completely wipe it out altogether. And you need for any spray, you need water or moisture for the spray to be taken down into the roots to kill the plant. And we don't have that there at the minute. So again, it's like the slurry until we actually do have rain and it falls, don't go near any spraying. Okay, and again with lime, is lime advisable to be spread in this type of weather, or should we wait? Again, lime is fine. There's no problem with lime as long as it's it's off the grass. So if you've uh, grazed out bare, or if you've cut silage, uh, you can go out with your lime. But don't put out anything that is going to be left on the plant. You need rain to wash it off. That's all you need for for lime. So if there was rain coming, you were able to get out your lime that washed it off the leaf of the plant. There's no problem. If it's stuck to the leaf of the plant, it'll end up where you might get a scour, lime scour, in, especially in lambs. Okay. And finally, I know spreading water was a, was a hot topic uh, in 2018, Martina. Some farmers maybe question it again, maybe for, for ground they receded. Is this actually a viable option? Not really, Niall. Like we looked at it in 2018, and I suppose that was the first time that we'd ever seen as, as severe a drought. But if you're looking at it, to get 10 mils, equivalent of 10 mils of rain, you're looking at putting out almost 9,000 gallons to the acre. And that's just to get that 10 mils. You'll have to come back the following week and back the following week. So it isn't really a viable option, I know. Okay.
Um, and Niall, I suppose the last point really would be on the water side of things. You really do need to make sure that animals have good access to water and, you know, that they have good um, maybe trough sizes that if, if animals are changing paddocks or whatever else, that they're able to get that access. And if you have um, rivers or whatever on your farm and you think that your well might be under pressure, if it was under pressure in, in 2018, maybe look at, at seeing if you're able to open up drinking points into those rivers if they are required later on down the road. So it's kind of getting prepared a little bit earlier uh, this year than what we had in 2018. Well, we'll leave it at that, Martina. Thanks very much for joining us. All right, Niall. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching this week's Farmland. You can keep up to date on the latest agri-news on agriland.ie and the Agriland app.